happy Memorial Day weekend. And again, let me just say what a privilege it is to lead a church with many wonderful servicemen and women. We are so thankful for you, and God bless you in your service this weekend. And we would love to have you back tonight as the season turns for many of our wonderful School of Transformation students, and we celebrate them. And if you're interested in the schools, this is a great opportunity to hear more about this amazing program going on. I learned of a story this week of a young boy who was witnessing his uh, baby brother be dedicated, just as we have these baby dedication services up in front. And he was watching his, his little baby brother get dedicated on Sunday morning, and he just started crying. And he kept crying and crying and crying. And on the drive home, he was crying some more, and his parents are trying to console him, but he's totally inconsolable. And they finally ask little Johnny, what's wrong? And he said, well, the, the preacher said that he believed that every child should be raised by a good Christian family. And the mom said, well, yeah, that's true. And he says, I don't want my brother to have to leave and go to another family. I want you guys to get to raise him. <laughs> Kid, kids, keep us honest, don't they? <laughs> if you turn with me to Revelation chapter 13, I... Uh, would love to put a Bible in your hand as we go through this amazing book. We're on a series called The Revelation of Jesus, and I have to give a little disclaimer. If you're joining us for the first time this morning or joined us for the first time last week, and these are your first two Sundays, I promise that I'm really a joyful, happy preacher. I, uh, I, have, a, I have a book at the bookstore called The Parting God, Discovering the God of Extravagant Celebration. I love proclaiming the goodness of God to the nations of the world. However, God is not a one-dimensional God. And so as we come to Revelation 13 through Revelation 18 this morning, we've got to pause, we have to reflect, we have to study, because they serve as a warning for us as the body of Christ and equip us on how to respond when the enemy is attacking. Last week, we talked about the dragon, the serpent named Satan, and his desire to accuse and destroy the church, the people of God, to destroy Jesus himself. He is unsuccessful in that. But here's what was exciting to me at the end of the sermon is I had people come up in the guest cafe. I had two different women that came up that were just broken from their, their past, and, and both of them independently said, you know, as you preached on this, I understood, oh, there's been a scheme against my life, and today I'm giving my life to Jesus Christ. So exciting. I had a, a couple of others come and talk to me about addictions that they were dealing with and said, hey, you know, it was so good to understand. It's not just me going crazy, but there's an assignment to destroy me and I'm going to fight. And that's why we take time to preach through these hard texts this morning so that we can be overcomers. That is your de destiny my friends, we're going to look in Revelation 13, starting in verse 1. It says this, The dragon stood on the shore of the sea, and I saw a beast coming out of the sea. Now remember, the dragon is Satan, and now there's a beast coming out of the sea. 
And it had ten horns and seven heads with ten crowns on its horn, and on each head a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, but it had feet like those of a bear and a mouth like that of a lion. And the dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed, and the whole world was filled with wonder and followed the beast. People worshipped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast, and they also worshipped the beast and asked, who is like the beast? Who can wage war against it? The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise its authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place, those who live in heaven. It was given power to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them, and it was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all those whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life, the Lamb who is slain from the creation of the world. Happy Memorial Day weekend. I know this is a very intense text. It's, it's confusing. It's hard to wrap our minds around, so let me break it down for a moment. Just as there is a dragon, his name is Satan. He is now standing on the shore of the sea, and he's calling forth a beast. This beast is known as the Antichrist. Now, if you've heard that term before, Antichrist, please raise your hand right now. I want to just get an idea if this is on the, in the consciousness of our congregation Now, the the Antichrist is depicted in other books of the Bible, and specifically in the book of Daniel are some of the same descriptions that we were just reading here in Revelation 13. We saw the allusion to a leopard, a lion, and a bear, and then a a fourth horrific creature. And as you study, uh, uh, scholars' um, uh, studies of the book of Daniel, chapter 2 and chapter 7, they refer to these different kingdoms that were empires rising against the people of God, the Babylonian Empire, the Medo-Persian Empire, the Greek Empire, and the Roman Empire, which was ruling at the time of the pinning of Revelation. But the beast doesn't just refer to these past empires. We know as we look, the beast has a fatal wound upon its head. It's been healed, and now the beast is being given authority to rule and reign. We believe that the, the beast, is the Antichrist, will actually be a person who comes at the end of human time, gathering the world into one formal government, which is opposing Jesus and his church. I wrote this phrase, if you're taking notes, in order to wrap your mind around this, this is how I would characterize the Antichrist. A powerful man unifying the world against the rule of God, a powerful man unifying the world against the rule of God. Let me give you a couple more verses we'll put up here on the screen. You don't have time to turn to them, but Second Thessalonians 2, 3, and 4. It says this, let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin, the Antichrist is known as the man of sin, is revealed the son of perdition who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. The Antichrist, his role is to deceive people into making them think that he himself is God, to wow them by his power, by his, 
his fabricated miracle into them thinking, wow, this is actually God and he's coming and he's unifying the world together. Daniel 7.25 explains it this way. Daniel 7.25, he shall speak pompous words against the Most High. He shall persecute the saints of the Most High and shall intend to change the times and law. Then the saints shall be given into his hand for a time and times and half a time. This is three and a half years. Now, the Antichrist desire is actually to change God's righteous law into evil and demonic law and then to use that to destroy the saints, to destroy the people of God. It won't last forever. However, it will be a horrific time. Now, this is interesting. If you look at this 1 John chapter 2 text where it talks about the Antichrist, it says this. It says, little children... It is the last hour, and as you've heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. Now, what does it mean many Antichrists have come? We believe that there is an end times Antichrist who will try to unify the world into one government. However, the spirit of the Antichrist has been present on the world for centuries. And so we have people that, as we look throughout history, you could say they were anti-Christ. Many people say that Hitler was an anti-Christ. He stood for everything that is against the kingdom of God and his righteousness, obliterating six million Jews, destroying many other people with this tyrannical regime bent on taking over the world. The same with Stalin, who killed even more people than Hitler. Maybe uh, in, in these last decades, Joseph Kony in Uganda, setting himself up, saying that he was the son of God, but in, in reality, destroying millions of innocent people in Uganda. There have been many antichrists that have come. Now, how do you apply this to your life today where you sit? What I want to propose to you today is that there are many things being done in our country that are anti-Christ. Now, I'm not saying it is the end times anti-Christ. I'm not going to point any fingers at different people and say they're the anti-Christ. I don't think that's what we should do. But what I want to say is the anti-Christ means the enemy of Christ or against Christ. Jesus. And as we look at some of the developments that have been unfolding in the past several decades in the United States, I think we should take great alarm at what is happening. There has been a militant agenda going across our government to take out the name of God, to take out the name of Jesus from all public forums. There's been an agenda even to take Things like Christmas and Easter away. You can't even say that in some forums without getting in trouble. Christmas, I just said it. (laughs) You know, the the very foundations that this nation was built upon, I encourage you to look back at the works of our founding fathers, to look and read the 100 published prayers of George Washington, to read the works of of Thomas Jefferson to study the stories of the pilgrims that came to this country seeking religious freedom to to worship Jesus Christ of Nazareth and you will understand why our nation has prospered like no other nation in history because it's been laid on the foundations of scripture and an honoring of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords but there has become a militant agenda to drive all that is true out of our country And what really scares me is when 
different political leaders and different judges place their hand on the Bible as they are sworn into office. Do you know that that's what leaders are still doing in our nation? Their hands are placed on their Bible when they are sworn into office. And let me just read to you the oath that they take. It says, I, and then you say your name, do solemnly swear that I will administer justice without respect to persons and do equal right to the poor and to the rich, and I will faithfully and impartially discharge and perform all the duties incumbent upon me under the Constitution and the laws of the United States. And listen to this last phrase, so help me God. Their hands are on the Bible, showing that for centuries we've believed in this country that this is the highest and most sacred law. And they raise their other hand and swear before the living God, asking him for help. But while their hand is on the Bible, swearing by it, with the other hand, they are writing into law ordinances that are against what this book teaches. With, with one hand, we have our hand on the Bible, swearing to protect those that are most helpless. With the other hand, writing into laws that which is destroying our most helpless citizens in this country, 56 million unborn children, the most defenseless people in this country have been killed since 1973. This is not a political sermon. This is a biblical moral treatise on what's going on in our nation. I will. We, we, we're placing our hands on the Bible and swearing to uphold the law. And then with our other hands, we are writing into law things that are taking our Bible out of schools, taking our Ten Commandments off of courthouses, taking prayer out of public forums. This is dangerous. God has protected our nation for centuries, but when we turn on the living God, can we expect that kind of protection any longer? And with our very hands on the Bible, we are changing the very foundations, the very laws that are in Scripture. We're redefining them according to what feels right to us or not. Now, we have love and compassion for every person no matter what they believe or how they choose to live, they are valuable to the living God. But it does not mean that we rewrite laws that are opposing the truth of Scripture. Happy Memorial Day. Look back with me at Revelation chapter 13, where the first opponent of the body of Christ, the people of God, is the Antichrist. The second is found in these next verses. It says, then I saw a second beast coming out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon. It exercised all the authority of the first beast on its behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast, whose fatal wound had been healed, and it performed great signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in full view of the people. And because of the signs, it was given power to perform on behalf of the first beast. It deceived the inhabitants of the earth. It ordered them 
to set up an image and honor the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. The second beast was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that the image could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. It also forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hands or on their foreheads so that they could not buy or sell unless they had that mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the person who has insight calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. That number is 666. What we see in Revelation 13 as we continue is a second beast. In all other texts, the second beast will be called the false prophet. This is the second enemy of the people of God, the second opponent of Jesus that comes forth from the enemy. His desire is to unite the world in a one-world religion. And he even performs great signs and wonders. And at first, people are in awe, they're inspired, they're drawn to it. But it quickly changes from a volunteer movement to a tyrannical, oppressive regime bent on destroying anything that opposes it. It's much like the Third Reich. Do you know, in the beginning, people actually applauded Hitler for restoring peace and prosperity to Germany. Germany was in such a place of, of despair and depression Then, when Hitler came on the scene, they thought that he was their savior. He actually, if you look, Time Magazine, 1938, he receives the man of the year. Hitler. Because they thought he was unifying the country. He was building the country. It was rising out of the ashes. What they didn't see was the evil that was in his heart that would be perpetrated against millions of innocent lives. It's the same with the false prophet. Now, I don't think the false prophet is on earth right now and, and, and enacting a, a one world religion, but I, I think that we can see hints of how this could unfold with this whole tolerance movement that's going on right now. This movement that says, hey, we should, we should just embrace all faiths and we should embrace all religions is all going to the same place. And, and that sounds kind and, and good, but it's simply not the truth. Yes, we should be tolerant and gracious and kind to all peoples, but to say that all one, all roads lead to the same place is absolute deception. And if you start saying in the midst of a tolerance movement, no, there is an absolute truth, you will find yourself the subject of the most horrific intolerance you could ever experience. You will find yourself oppressed and come against and attacked. That is the exact opposite of tolerance. That's what's going on right now in the nations of the world. And we need to beware. Beware of any religion that claims a connection supernaturally that's void of Jesus Christ. There are only two sources of power in this world, my friends. One comes from the throne of God, the King of kings and Lord of lords. His name is Jesus. And one comes from the enemy and his name is Satan. There are no neutral powers. They come from one of two origins. And going on in this generation, we see this infatuation, this desire to connect supernaturally, this intrigue of paranormal activities. I was just looking at some of the shows that have come out, some of the movies that have come out and been tremendously popular. 
Listen to what these are. Twilight, True Blood, Vampire Diaries, Ghost Asylum, Paranormal Witness, The Dead Files. It's freaky just to read this list. No, and, and, and some that don't seem so blatantly evil. I, I'm breathing a sigh of relief as Harry Potter is drifting from the public's obsession. And I know I'm stepping on some of your toes right now. Why? Because it's a gateway into looking into power which source does not come from Jesus Christ. The only true light for the nations. And so we are deceived into looking into other forms of powers. But they are just a gateway into darker and darker things. And I do not want you to be destroyed. I cannot tell you how many hours myself and my staff has spent in doing prayer counseling, healing, deliverance sessions of people who have opened up their lives to seemingly harmless things. Well, I was just watching some movies. I was just watching some horror movies. Let me ask you, what source do you think that horror movies come from? What source does witchcraft, even sweet white white witchcraft, what does that come from? Listen, I'm saying this today as a loving father who wants to spare you from getting destroyed. It's my desire. You know, uh, God, he put this desire in you for the supernatural. And it can be only found in Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. If you find yourself hungering for supernatural, stay away from the dark, but run towards the light. He wants you to encounter him in a real way, and it's no longer okay for churches to be powerless. That's why the world is running towards the dark side, because they see some power. It's time for the power of the Holy Spirit to be made manifest in the church. Here's the third enemy, Revelation 17, if you turn there with me, Revelation 17, starting in verse 1. First enemy, the Antichrist, the second enemy, enemy, excuse me, the false prophet, the third, the great harlot. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, come, I will show you the punishment of the great prostitute who sits by many waters. With her, the kings of the earth committed adultery, and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. Then the angel carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and there I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and was glittering with gold and precious stones and pearls. She held a golden cup in her hand filled with abominable things and filth of her adulteries. The name written on her forehead was a mystery. Babylon, the great mother of prostitutes and the abominations of the earth. I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of God's holy people, the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. When I saw her, I was greatly astonished. And on in chapter 18, verse 3, for all the nations have drunk the maddening wine of her adulteries. The kings of the earth committed adultery with her, and the merchants of the earth grew rich from her excessive luxuries. You know, if I could sum this up in one statement, I would say this is the spirit that leads the world into sexual immorality, violence, and materialism. You know, last week, 
We talked about the signs displayed in heaven in Revelation 12 that John speaks of, and we saw a dragon coming against a woman, and that woman was bringing forth a child, and that woman was the nation of Israel. That woman was also representative of the body of Christ. But do you know that Satan brings forth his own woman? He always mimics the truth. He is a copier. He always brings up a deceptive truth to combat what God is doing. And so there is another woman, and she is Babylon, the great harlot. And instead of being pure and holy, like the bride of Christ, instead she is an adulterer. And she's leading the kings of the world into sensual pleasures, and not just sexual immorality, but into greed and hedonism materialistically, and also into violence. I want to tell you that any time You see these three things increasing. You understand that the enemy is at work. When sexual immorality, when violence and materialism all increase, you know the enemy is at work. And I'm afraid to say we see that in our country right now. And a study of history shows that when a country plunges headlong and an empire goes after these three desires, it's always the beginning of the end for that nation. You look at Sodom and Gomorrah in the book of Genesis. You look at Babylon, the enemies of Jerusalem. You look at Jerusalem. You look at the people of God themselves in the Old Testament. When they followed after this, they were handed over. You look at the Third Reich and what happened there. We need to be on our knees for our country as we see sexual immorality on the increase as there's this love of violence. It's almost as if we're moving back to the Roman gladiator days as we love to behold these violent things on our TVs. We should be so concerned when there's a love for material things, a love for money. This increase shows that the enemy is infiltrating our ranks. Let me just give one example that maybe seems a little more benign. I mean, we know in the church that we shouldn't be plunging into sexual immorality, even though that's so common, but one of the things that's destroying us from the inside out is pornography. And people often think, well, that's just, you know, a little thing that I can just hide or just something that's, that's not hurting people. I was just reading how epidemic it's gotten. Dr. Orgus, the co-author of A Billion Wicked Thoughts, says 15% of all internet searches today are for erotic content. 15%. One out of 10 times a person's getting on the internet. It's for pornography. And listen to this. The largest porn site on the web registers 4.4 billion users a month. That's enough for every three out of four people in the world to visit that once a month. I want to tell you this is destroying us from the inside out. He goes on to say, after using any drug for a while to satisfy an urge, the impulse tends to grow and require more intense stimulation. Just like transitioning from a gateway drug like marijuana to harder drugs like cocaine, standard porn or soft porn can quickly morph into a desire for hardcore, violent, and even child pornography. And that's what we see happening time 
and time again. Now, here's the interesting thing. In our country, we know that cigarettes actually destroy people's lives, so there's a warning label on cigarettes. But at this time in our nation, for some reason, there is no warning being placed on these different sites on pornography. But if there was, it would probably look like this. Triple X warning, content will harm and addict your brain, ruin your sex life, and contribute to sex trafficking. I want to tell you that just that beginning journey into porn is the very thing that's leading people into harder and harder things. It's creating a demand for child pornography. In the end, 20,000 new images of child porn are putting up, are being put up a week. Think about how many hundreds, thousands of children are being perpetrated by this wicked craving in the heart of man. This is not okay. You know, this is where our, our desire, our, our, our running into hedonism takes us. It always takes us into destruction. And the amazing thing is, as you study and you move into the end of Revelation, you see that the harlot, she comes riding on a beast, but soon the beast turns on her and destroys her. Why? Because the enemy's desire is always to steal, kill, and destroy you know, how is the sexual experiment, the sexual liberation, how is that going in our nation? I want to tell you, it's just destroying life after life after life. Again, myself, my staff, we spend hours counseling people, helping them through their pain from their sexual promiscuity, their pain from their sexual abuse, their pain from all kinds of experiences that have destroyed their lives. It's not working. In the end, it's only destroying us. I don't know if you've heard of how they kill wolves in Alaska. One method they use is they take a, a knife and they dip it in blood and then they, they freeze it. And then they do it again and they freeze it and they do it again and they freeze it until it becomes like a blood sickle. And they plant it in the ground. Now wolves have an incredible sense of smell, this voracious desire for blood and so they come ravenous after this blood sickle and they start licking on it. And they get themselves worked up in such a frenzy because here is just this blood that they can just consume. And so they keep licking it and licking it until finally they've licked through the blood sickle and sliced their tongue right on the blade. But they're so elated, so excited about this blood that they're just consuming that they don't notice that it's their tongue that's been slit. And when they taste that warm blood, they go crazy. And they just start drinking and licking more and more and more until they drown in their own blood. Happy Memorial Day. I want to tell you, this is going on in the body of Christ. We're intoxicated by our own pleasures, by our own sin. I don't care how good it is. In the end, the enemy only wants to destroy you. He only wants you to drink your own destruction. It is for your destruction that he is enticing you and making you feel like, oh, just be free, be liberated, do what you want, chase after pleasure, chase after sexual immorality, behold the violence. It's all about ruining your life until you die. And we must be warned as the body of Christ. Now, some of you are going, gosh, I, you know, I, I'm not struggling with, with pornography. I'm not, you know, dealing with these hardcore things. I'm not beating up people on the side of the street, you know. For me, I, 
I remember when I was coming to be a life group leader for the first time, and I got to the, the part in the training on the weekend where they talked about standards, and they asked us to lay down rated R movies. Now, I was a movie guy. I still, I mean, I'm a movie guy. You can tell I'm a little dramatic. I love movies. And, but I, I had no censor over the movies I saw as a kid. So, I mean, even as a little kid, I was watching these James Bond violent sexual movies, and it just went down from there. And so I got so frustrated when they're saying, cut out the rated R movies. And by then, by God's grace, I had gotten free from my, my sexual immorality, and I wasn't a big cussing person. I definitely wasn't killing anyone. So... <clears throat> When they said, you know, let these things go, I said, why? I mean, it's not affecting me. I don't watch this stuff and then go out and have sex with people. I don't go out and start cursing. I don't go out and kill people. Why do I need to let this thing go? And I remember the pastor just going from my heart and saying, hey, would you lay it down? Because we're challenging you on it. Would you lay it down so you can be a good role model to other people? I said, yeah, I guess so. I mean, if that's what you're saying, I'd rather be a life group leader than do this. What I wasn't expecting was within about two months of not watching those kind of things, my mind was so free. Like, yeah, I might not have been engaging in all those activities, but what I didn't realize is this battle that was always going in my mind, these sexual thoughts, these curse words when, when people would cut me off in the car, I'm like, you, but it wouldn't come out. But it was in my head, right? Some of you guys are good mind cursors. These violent images, these fears that I have, I get in a dark room and I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. why? Because your eye is the lamp of the body. I want to tell you, some of you guys are going to get free today because you're going to start realizing actually the things you're taking in are bringing darkness into your body. I tell you, shut the windows, close the doors. These, these little things like the movies we watch and the video games we play, and, the, and, and the, the magazines, and the media, and the sites we visit, they are polluting us. You would never drink sewage in reality, but you are drinking in visual sewage every day. This is a graphic message, isn't it? God wants to set you free. He wants to liberate you. He wants to give you that which is holy and pure. The Bible says the thief came to steal, kill, and destroy, but he came to give you life and more abundantly. Taste and see that God is good. He's wonderful. I uh, want to explain why I'm bringing such bad news today to you. I was a part of a, a, a relay team in my later teen years. We had risen to be one of the, the, the best relay teams in, uh, in, in swimming in Central Texas, and we were slated to either win the gold medal or the, the silver medal, and, and we were competing with all our hearts for the gold medal, but we had an arch enemy, and the name of this team was Forest North, and they were the team that everyone loved to hate because they were snobby, and they were harsh, and they were also known to bend the rules to, 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 to win. And So we're in this race. It's the Invitational Championship. We're in the massive UT Swim Center with all these teams. We're in the two center lanes, and I'm actually the anchored swimmer, and I'm swimming against this guy that looked just like Michael Phelps, these massive shoulders, bigger than mine. And he is, uh, <laughs> what? And um, he... Uh, he just looked like a beast, right? And so, 
So here it's us two, and it's, we're the, the fourth leg, right? We're the anchor swimmers, and so we're in the, 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 the freestyle relay, and the third seat are, are coming towards us, and our guys are neck and neck, and I, my, my heart is pumping. I'm going to have to swim the best race of my life to win, and as our guys are coming to the wall, all of a sudden, this guy from Forest North, the beast, he does something that I was not expecting. He dives off way before his teammate ever gets there. He cheated. He totally cheated. And it caught me so off guard that I just kind of froze. And I'm hearing, go, 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 and I dive off. But I'm so taken back by what he did that I didn't tuck my head right when I dove in and my goggles flipped down over my mouth. (laughs) Thank you for that sympathy. I don't have time to rip them off, so I swim my little heart out. I give it everything I've got, but in the end, it was not enough, and I got beat. It was one of the greatest defeats of my youth. In in fact, 25 years later, I can still taste the sting of that defeat. But you know, I, I learned a lesson that day, is that we can't be caught off guard by our enemy's tactics You, beloved, are called to run a race marked out for you by the living God. He has called you to be victorious, to be triumphant, to get into heaven's gates and for him to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. You fought the fight, you finished the race, and you have a prize for eternity. And that is why we must understand that the enemy is an accuser, he's a deceiver, he's a cheater and a liar, and we can't be thrown off by his deceitful schemes. And the great news is this, the enemy will not terrorize the people of God forever. See, there's coming a day, there's coming a day where Jesus will return and make everything right. I want you to look at this in Revelation 19. Revelation 19, one of the most exciting texts as the the tide just turns in the book of Revelation. It says this, I saw heaven standing open. And there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. And with justice he judges and wages wars. His eyes are like blazing fire. And on his head are many crowns. And he has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. And he's dressed in a robe dipped in blood. And his name is the word of God. Why is his robe dipped in blood? Because he died. He won the battle over Satan on the cross. He died for your sins. He paid the price with his life, and now he has authority to ride forth as the faithful witness leading the troop of heaven. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Then I saw a beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider on the horse and his army. But the beast was captured. And with it, the false prophet who had performed the signs on its behalf. And with these signs, he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. In the end, Jesus wins. He will defeat his enemies. He will be victorious. Let me finish with this. Let me go back. To the story in which I started this sermon. My grandfather, he was caught up in this unjust lawsuit against him. 
And I would have had no idea the part I had to play in this story. You see, this wicked man who through extortion was trying to ransack my grandfather for millions of dollars had hired who he thought was the best attorney in all of Austin, Texas. But what this wicked man didn't know when he hired this attorney to come against our family was that this attorney had a child. And that child was in grade school with me. And in fact, that child was a good friend of mine. And upon the attorney's discovery that I was good friends with that child, he got to know me. And he saw that I was a good kid. And he saw that I actually came from a great family, a family that was helping the poor, a family that stood for righteousness. And all of a sudden, this attorney, hired by this wicked man, realized he was on the wrong side of the case. And I remember him actually telling my dad, don't worry about things, it's all gonna be okay. The attorney dropped the case. That wicked man left our lives never to be seen again. Why? Because of the friendship of a little child. I want to tell you, little children of God, that God has a plan to use you to advance his kingdom in this dark hour to bring his glorious light on earth as it is in heaven. Little you, little me can be used in a powerful way to turn the tide. It's your destiny. I learned that day that though the wicked may attack the righteous, in the end, God defends his kids. You need not worry. Cling to Jesus. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. And the strong, mighty, right arm of God will defend you. And he will use you as his army to advance his kingdom through the nations of the world so that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He loves you. He has a plan for you. And as we partner with that plan, your destiny unfolds before you. Would you stand up with me? Would you pray, Father, I love your word. It's amazing to already know the end before we're even there. And we know in the end we will be victorious, but I pray today that through the preaching of your word, that people who are far apart from you, that they would find you, that the lost would be saved. I pray for those who are in addictions, Lord, that they would know that there's an enemy coming after them, but you want to give them power to walk free. I pray for those who are being oppressed, those who are, are in fear of the enemy's attack, that they would know that there's power to overcome. And I'm just sensing this right now. I just sense in this room there's ones that you say, man, I, I'm, I'm in the war. I'm feeling the battle right now. And we want to pray for you. And I just want you to keep your eyes closed. But if that's you, I just want you to boldly raise your hand and keep it up. Because I'm going to pray a prayer of victory over you. I'm going to pray a prayer of empowering all over this room. Just tons of hands are going up. And you know what? That's right. That's normal. In this world, the Bible says we will have trouble. But Jesus says, lo, I have overcome the world. Jesus wants to give you power. If that's you, just raise your hand right now. Just a sign of humility saying, Jesus, I need you. See me right here. I'm in the battle. Maybe it's a mental battle. Maybe it's a physical battle. Maybe you're in a battle like my family was with unrighteous people coming after you. Maybe it's a boss. Maybe it's someone in your neighborhood. Maybe it's a bully. 
I tell you, God wants to strengthen his people to live victorious lives. Lord, I'm praying for every hand that's raised right now. I pray that you'd strongly support those whose hearts are wholly yours. We thank you that the end of Revelation, we see a rider on a white horse whose name is faithful and true. Lord, you will be faithful to your children who have their hands right now, and you are bringing your truth into their life, and I pray that you would set them free from any attack of the enemy. And you can just put your hand down right now. And some of you, you realize, you know what, I I don't know that I know Jesus Christ. I'm not sure that he's living in my heart. I'm not sure that I'm going to go to heaven when I die. He doesn't want you to leave this room without nailing that down. He died on the cross to forgive you of your sins. You could never earn your own forgiveness. He rose from the dead to defeat the power of sin and death off of your life. He wants to give you a new life. If you want to receive Jesus in your heart today as your Lord and Savior, I want you to just pray with me right now. Just repeat these words right after me. Just say this, Jesus, come into my life. Be my Lord and Savior. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for rising from the dead. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I'll follow you forever. Now with every with every eye closed, no one looking around. I just want to pray for you that said, I made that decision today. Will you just look up at me and wave just real quick? I'm not going to point you out, but I just want you to wave at me. Awesome. Okay. Who else? Okay. Who else? Just wave at me so I can see you. I'm just going to include you in this prayer. Okay. I see you back there. Who else? Just wave at me all over this room. Okay. I see you too. Who else? Just wave at me real quick. Okay. I see you as well. Awesome. Awesome hands going up all over this room. Lord, I thank you for these precious ones who are committing their life to you. I thank you it's not what they do, but it's what you did for them on the cross that sets them free and saves them. I thank you that you're filling them with the Holy Spirit, and they will walk with you forever. We celebrate their new life in you. Let's give a hand to the Lord for what he's doing today.